0: Player, and this is Founder Coffee. Every few weeks, I have coffee with a different founder. We discuss life, passions, learnings in an intimate talk, getting to know the person behind the company. For this 39th episode, I talk to Max Armbruster, founder and CEO of Talkbush, a recruitment automation platform that leverages chat interfaces for recruitment. After stints at companies like CNET, Altran, AT Kearney and SAP, Max started TalkPush based on in-house software he built in a previous business to streamline the recruitment process. Despite being a US national with German origins, he leads his company from Hong Kong, with half of his company being based in Latin America, and he sells his software worldwide. We talk about whether it makes sense to combine software with services, how the big internet giants get rich, and how to build great processes and have effective meetings. Welcome to Founder Coffee. Hi, Max. Uh, it's great to have you on Founder Coffee. Thank you. Good morning from uh, Hong Kong. Uh, good morning from Belgium. Uh, you're co-founder of uh, TalkPush. Uh, for those who don't know yet what you guys do, uh, what do you do? Talk push is a recruitment
1: software. And we uh, we are working on automation. And we use chatbots to automate the Engagement with candidates at scale. So, what does that mean? It means we're we're handling millions of conversations with job seekers all over the world for some of the largest employers in the world, companies like Walmart or McDonald's or Accenture, uh, and we're connecting with those millions of candidates using messaging interfaces, conversational AI uh, over platforms like WhatsApp and Messenger in order to. To make things uh, make recruiting go faster.
0: Okay, so you're working for enterprises to sort of streamline their uh, recruitment flow by using chat, uh, by conversations, right? That's right. That's right. And 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 the
1: vast majority of those conversations are fully automated, fully AI, with uh, with still because. There's still some human touch points, uh, so parts of the journey is assisted, parts of the journey is unassisted.
0: Yeah. So I'm I'm imagining that uh, the companies you're working for have sort of huge flows going on of rec- of um, of uh, people they're recruiting, and they want to partly uh, take away things that are too manual, and then the thing you offer is something that merges. Uh, the automated parts, which you're, I, I'm assuming, replacing forms, um, with 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 the uh, the more human part, which is uh, the usual, but then more through chat. Is that sort of what it is? Or, yeah, I, I could
1: say that uh, I'm not um I'm not opposed to forms as a as a user experience. I think that there's some benefits to forms over over chat over conversational, including the fact that when you fill a form, it feels a little bit more official. But generally, yeah, we're moving more towards these dynamic experiences, type form like uh, interfaces where it feels more like a conversation. And yeah, we're part of that. Uh, the yeah. the um, the thing that's driving us is really a change in, in behavior, consumer behavior. Mm-hmm. And when, when companies realize that uh, they're going to attract better talent, if they talk and interface th- with the way they, they talk and interface with consumers, it, it gives them a, an edge on, on the recruiting front. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. um, and so, you know, then it, it carries the business, helps everybody. So at the foundation is really just a, a change in behaviors and habits from the consumers, which has not, has not really been um, taken into consideration by the leading software vendors.
0: Yeah. Is that the, the sort of sales story you go with to an enterprise or is, it, are you, is there another sort of burning platform that you're focusing on? The, um, the angle that
1: I was describing just now, uh, talking about, the consumer, the change in consumer behavior, that works well with enterprise if they have a very recognizable name and they, uh, and, and their brand is their most precious asset. Yeah. For, for companies where the, the, the search for talent is a little bit more proactive, where they have to go and, and search for the talent rather than the talent coming to them, where it's more outbound than inbound in the sales um, lingo, then, then the focus shifts from brand a little bit more towards productivity and, and building the value from from a recruiter productivity standpoint. What is the number of hires you do per recruiter? Your time to uh-huh. hire, uh, and so on. And um, so, so that those are those are the two big angles to to work with.
0: Got it. So it's, it's sort of in the in the productivity angle. It makes sure that you. With with much less resources, you can screen more candidates better, right? Yeah,
1: candidate side, recruiter
0: side. Yep. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Okay. And then, and then, of course, then if you wanna if you wanna get ambitious on the sales side, you could, you could talk about the loss in revenue uh, when you have a, a slow time to fill a position, mm-hmm. and and about uh, the. Lack of reactivity to the business needs and what it means for the rest of the business. For example, in a retail environment or I know it's not a hot segment right now, but you know, retail will come back. And every every week that goes by when you don't fill a position, you're gonna you're gonna lose revenue. And yeah. you still have to pay rents, you still have to pay storage, but but you're you're not selling as fast and as efficiently as you could. Yeah. So a really good salesperson will will figure out a way to tie the business outcomes to recruitment. But it's not an easy thing to do because often talent acquisition is seen as a support function and they don't have their finger on the pulse of the business.
0: Yeah. But it seems that that what we've just been discussing, like based on your website, is just a a part of the story because you're also making sure that uh, with integration with ads... Uh, you can pull candidates towards the interfaces you're building Um, and then behind that you have another um, whole um, system in which you can then also organize the leads you get in so to speak right yeah you 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 have different
1: levels of leads and uh, you know somebody who goes through your website somebody who applies for a job somebody who goes through an assessment Uh, somebody who does an interview at each stage of of the funnel you need to track uh, the cost per lead and uh, we we try through automation to to minimize the cost per lead at each stage
0: yeah yeah what strikes me uh, often when I am I think about recruitment agencies being it uh, you know the ones you have on every street corner or the more headhunter types is that these companies are so little uh digitized and organized um there's like if you would go to the typical recruitment agency on the on the corner uh, yeah. that's that uh, recruits um, uh, operators and and people for um, uh, administrative jobs and all those kind of things um then they're often like operating in a total uh, state of chaos <laughs> as far as i'm yeah. concerned where yeah. there's no uh, proper system in place to remember who they have to call about what and which candidates they saw and all that um and you imagine the the
1: data that you have to work with i mean it's people and yeah. people cannot be really relied on to to uh to give very good data often you know it's It's so hard when you're interviewing people just for your own business to figure out what is true from what isn't and yeah. um, and to to give a an assessment. So right. it's um, it's an extremely uh, broken and diversified space. both uh, the the systems of record, uh, which are called the, the applicant tracking software, as well as the assessment platforms that score the candidates as well as uh, the sourcing and marketing platforms, like the job boards and marketplaces. Yeah. It, is, it is as fragmented as it comes because it's so complicated and so diversified. Uh, there's a little bit of consolidation that's happening in the in the world of, um, you know, let's say marketplaces and the big databases are becoming bigger where you have four big players that, that monopolize the space. One of them is Microsoft and LinkedIn. Another one is... Uh, Facebook and Facebook jobs which is a a marketplace for entry-level blue-collar at the moment and SMB but but expanding into new areas Uh, the the big job board called indeed Mm -hmm. and I'm forgetting one Uh, I guess Google Google has moved into the the job space by uh, building a Google cloud talent solution which lists jobs from all the different recruitment software vendors and, and and list them for free in Google. So if you search for Crazy. You know, sales engineer position in Brussels, the first thing you'll see is a Google result and coming from Google delivered to you for free. No ad revenue linked to that, no ad revenue linked to Facebook jobs either at the moment. So those, those mega players are moving in and um, maybe that will drive, you know, more automation, more technology because, you know, there's less, less diversity, I guess.
0: Yeah fully understood actually it's it's very funny it's it's sort of like we're um, uh, you, you and I were operating in uh, in parallel spaces where uh, we're doing for sales what you're doing for recruitment um, trying to automate a lot of the data validate it uh, make sure that it's all organized uh, provide interfaces to connect with people uh, and 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 the the things you're saying about um, these big players moving in and and being the platforms from which you source data is is, is I think true across industries. It's it's yeah. funny how they how they position themselves uh, in in just about every market in an efficient way. Oh, I was just I was just um, yeah reflecting on the fact that my biggest
1: supplier and you know where I spend the most dollars four years ago was Facebook. It was mostly ad revenue. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I managed to like slowly wean myself off that. And now I look at my biggest expenses. I just, I just, I just paid the bill for for LinkedIn sales navigator. And uh, and then my other big expenses are Amazon and, and Google actually yeah. um, Google cloud API. And I'm like, okay, great. So, you know, I managed to give it a phase one and now I've got three big ones. <laughs> I got three, Three uh, uh, big vendors. So I got three out of the big four that I'm still still spending a lot of money with. Um, yeah. So yeah, it is uh, it is a very concentrated uh, uh, world. It's true. That's just the reality. There's nothing we can do about it. We just have to live with it. Maybe maybe against our entrepreneurial ideals, but that's the world we live in.
0: Yeah. All these all these companies have moved into a sort of uh, platform mode in which they. Provide us all the tools for to work with to to build our businesses, uh, but in the end, they are the ones who make all the big money. Yeah, should we uh,
1: should we should we cry now? <laughs> <laughs> no, Shed a let's, tear?
0: let's let's uh, let's go back to um, to your story and um, how you guys started because it it seems like an awesome thing to work on. Um, but I'm 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 wondering where the spark came for this whole thing like uh you mentioned to me before the call that you started on this uh, about five and a half years ago it's very variable to us actually um when 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 did you think like we should have a better system for this and what were you working on and how did that all happen uh well
1: um it started, um, I, st- I started as a practitioner, so I, I was hiring for my team internally in a previous company that I founded, co-founded, and was uh, frustrated with the repetitive nature of recruitment and purchased um, a third-party software, then realized that uh, we could build something as good ourselves, and, and uh, we, we built our, our own version of that software. And then we started selling it. And so I I became a a software entrepreneur a little bit by accident, where initially I built something for our own internal use. Mm -hmm. Then I started selling it. And then I started realizing um, that Mm -hmm. it's so much better to work in software than to work in services because you have the recurring nature of the revenue. And, um, you know, that that was my education. But... But TalkBush is uh, a company that I founded alone, um, built on, the, on top of my experience, of course, from the past and realizing that, uh, as I said, that the, the available technology did not um, adapt to the consumer needs. And, you know, you were, you were making a parallel between our businesses. Mm-hmm. Usually, recruitment and talent acquisition is a few years behind sales and marketing sales and marketing have the big money and they, they get a lot of the innovation dollar and, and if you look at the history of recruitment software it's usually three four years behind uh the the sales and marketing innovation so it doesn't take a doesn't take a genius you just have to <laughs> you just have to follow what the the guys in sales and marketing do and apply it in a recruitment context um it's a smaller industry uh, with less innovation dollar but but on the positive side, it um, you you're helping people get work, yeah, and that's you know that's a little bit more that, has, that gives us a little bit more purpose than simply um, you know empowering sales team. I like we like the fact that we we do recruitments and we mm-hmm. help put food on the table.
0: Yeah, cool. Now let, let me get back for a moment to where you said um, that you figured that. Uh, software is nicer than services. And you said um, it it brings recurring revenue. Um, there's um, an interesting podcast with um, Neil Patel on Mixergy, who actually yeah. says the opposite thing. He says software, sort of, uh, that industry industry's glory moments have, have passed uh, because everybody can build software now. Uh, using all the services, like we said before, the the, the big ones. Uh, the there's uh, companies everywhere that try to out out uh, price the other ones. Uh, and he says where you can make the big money is actually not in software itself, uh, but it's in delivering services uh, and yeah. automating your own services with software. How do you think about that? Is that something you're thinking of, or is it pure software yeah. business you're looking at? Or?
1: Yeah, yeah, we, we are thinking about that. Um, there's, it's, it's a matter of um, whether you're, you're willing to make that jump because if you make that jump, then some of your customers become your competitors. True. And there's no, uh, there's, you know, it's a, it's a big, it's a big uh, bold move. And the other problem when you move to service is if you build a really good service organization, they're going to they're going to cover for your for your failures as as a software company. So if they really know how to work around problems, you know, that means that the the problems will never get to the R&D stage and engineering will miss them. So I think I think it's a very difficult one to move to make. Very tempting because there's definitely more more money to be made. And so you can get a revenue lift from moving into service, and in our space, you know, we could we could say, you know, don't pay us for the software, pay us for the number of hires. And many platforms have, have made that gamble. I I haven't seen one that's managed uh, that 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 gamble uh, with you know sort of great outcomes. I mean some companies do okay
0: (laughs) I think there's there's if you take sort of the model um, where um, you know how there is accounting software uh, like like new accounting software that promises that it does everything automatically Um, they often have um, uh, a team that if you don't want to do it with the software either uh you can get a dedicated accountant that they have in their sort of soda sort of center uh that will that will take everything out of your hands. Um, mm-hmm. are you planning
1: to do something like that for your customers or is not applicable?
0: Uh not right now, but it's uh it's something I sometimes think about. Could be yeah. could be cool. Um that there's, there's I mean, like- maybe the, the best way to start this and i'm
1: just meandering now and just wondering mm-hmm. is to create a certification program where you enable somebody to become a super user mm-hmm. you give them a, you give them a, a diploma a degree of some sort and then you say okay well, we're gonna we're gonna bring you business and and then hopefully you know, that catches on fire <laughs> you know
0: something like yeah. that that makes sense yeah, you sort of offer uh, a, a partner program with uh, solution partners or something, and then... Yeah, and I, then I'm, I'm trying to emulate uh, the UI path,
1: the RPA leader, in that sense. They've yeah. done a very good job of, of training their users and then building the, uh, the ecosystem that way. I used to work at SAP. SAP also you know, has invested a lot in creating SAP consultants and creating a whole ecosystem that Mm -hmm. works on on SAP. Um, I I don't know when you flip that switch. Uh, Right now, we're just so focused on making the software work better that uh, it's hard to imagine um, building that whole organization on top of things.
0: On on that point, uh, you mentioned as your uh, second reason not to do it, uh, that if you use the software internally, um, you are more likely to uh, cover up for bugs. Um, my experience is actually that if you use the software internally, that you see the bugs before the customers see them. Mm. But that's yeah. uh, not really a question, rather a statement, I guess. No, 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 you're <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've seen,
1: I, it's just I've seen a number of companies who have, because... Because in recruitment, um, it's, you almost have to be with your team physically on site to make sure that the, the, the hires are recorded properly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's very difficult. You, kind of, you need a, an exclusive partnership where you become the, the recruitment process outsourcing partner and you handle all their hiring. So there's this complete uh, exclusivity otherwise you it's hard to to track the outcomes and uh and it becomes a, an expensive uh, endeavor if if um if you don't track them properly so anyway it, it just hasn't been very i don't know how to make the switch but i'm interested yeah for sure
0: um, I, I, have you do you have any plans to also integrate uh things like um video interviews within the software or is that already in there or it's already in there. Uh, the The great thing about
1: uh, working with Messenger and, and WhatsApp is that you can capture voice, video, animated gifs, whatever. So we we uh, we have these things that that make the the two way communication richer and and more fun. Mm-hmm. And you know, um, um, one you know, if you give if if you if you give a hiring manager the choice between you can spend 30 seconds reading this resume or or you can spend 30 seconds listening to this candidate uh, answer a question about who they are. You know, Obviously, they're going to pick the video because you can tell so much more from someone, especially for jobs that are uh, not extremely technical, but jobs that are more about empathy and communication skills. The video is going to be the go-to method. Um, and um, so... Actually, m- most of the hiring that happens on our platform happens without a resume.
0: Yeah. And is that a, a synchronous uh, video communication like recorded or th- are there also live, live calls going on? Uh, we, we support both actually.
1: Yeah, but mostly asynchronous.
0: Yeah. Got it. So, so you mentioned you, uh, if I understood it well, you worked at SAP, um, you had a recruitment business, uh, and then you went into uh, this uh, software business. Is that sort of a good summary? or
1: um, Yeah, that, that's all part of my background. The, I've, been, uh, I've been self-employed uh, for most of my adult life by now. Including
0: um, the, the part at SAP or, or
1: uh, after that? The part at SAP, I was definitely getting paid. Yeah. <laughs> There's no way... There's no other way to to for, for me to have uh, to have uh, served my time there.
0: Yeah. So w- when was it actually that you have you always uh, felt like you wanted to have your own business, or was there some sort of uh, switch moment, or or it just grew on you? Um...
1: Yeah, I always I always wanted to to, to run, uh, you know, to live the entrepreneurial life dream. I, I even majored in, in entrepreneurship when I went to business school. Yeah. Uh, the, I started quite early and and I had a bit of a fom, FOMO for the big tech company. And and the, the opportunity to work at SAP, when I came in, seemed like a, an overwhelming, uh, um, uh, you know, a great opportunity uh, to, to work with great talents that have great resumes, uh, mm-hmm. working in beautiful offices and signing very large contracts. And, um, I was, uh, I think I, I maybe overestimated, uh, the, the level of, um, the quality of the work that, that, is, that you do in a, in a large company. I like, guess everybody is very smart and well-dressed and, uh, and you, you don't feel like, um, you know, you feel like you're working with very competent people and and these companies do take care of their employees. Yeah. But, but obviously uh, it's also, you, you also feel very uh, disconnected from reality because, you know, sometimes there's like 20, 30, 40 people who are working on one deal and uh, to, to close one deal and everybody's going to take credit for it. But, but in the end, like a lot of a lot of the purchases is, is based on brands. In fact, mm-hmm. maybe none of those thirty people had anything to do with it, <laughs> and um, and so it, it's hard to feel connect connected to the results and the outcome uh, when when you're part of a, an organization with you know so many employees. Yeah. So um, I found it uh, you know I found it hard to to stay motivated in this environment. Now I don't have the choice. It's great. I don't have to. I don't have to ask myself if I'm motivated. I get up and go
0: yeah yeah I see I see you've done this for uh, two years and four months that's already uh, quite an accomplishment I would say
1: Uh, thank you (laughs) (laughs) I made I I made a lot of good friends there and I have uh, you know I learned a lot I learned a lot of um, you know the psychology of sales and and how to work with uh, group decision buyers
0: yeah Talking about uh, uh, getting up in the morning and having to be motivated, what what keeps you up at night lately?
1: Well, um, lately, lately, I would say it's it's been uh, it's been quite quite a lot of change for our sales cycle uh, with the, the current uh, pandemic, and and I I'm um, I'm feeling a little bit. Um, you know, I guess when you're an entrepreneur, you kind of like to be in control. You, you want to, you want to be in control of your destiny and your, of your finance, of your payroll and, you know, in a rapidly changing world, like you lose a little bit of your control and Mm -hmm. as your company grows, hopefully you also lose a little bit of your control. You, you rescind it and, and give it to others, others that are, you know, better qualified than you um and and so yeah uh yeah i guess that's that's keeping me up a little bit at night all, all the change that's happening yeah uh, um but but nothing out of the ordinary
0: no yeah uh w- w- where do you see most impact for you that's um in the sales business um i'm assuming it's on new revenue and not so much on 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 churn let's say like customers going away yeah
1: yeah yeah you're you're assuming correctly
0: mm-hmm.
1: Um and of course companies are are um, every every everyone's trying trying to get an edge right and whether they're big or small companies will ask for exceptionally favorable credit terms and um and so you know there's you it's hard to count on anything in these conditions because you know payments get delayed even when they were already committed things like that so it, it makes it Harder to manage, harder harder to plan,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but um, you know, I know we're going to get through it, and uh, I think the adversity will bring us closer together as a team. And so, I, I think uh, I look at it as a glass half full.
0: Yeah. What What is it that you uh, spend most of your time on now, like like work wise? Um, I I'm a big fan of. Uh,
1: uh, Andy Groves, uh, high out, high um, output management, or high, mm-hmm. uh, high output management, a book where he helps uh, CEOs and entrepreneurs uh, with uh, things like running good one-on-one meetings and setting targets, and talks about the importance of doing meetings. and And I'm also a big fan of uh, the uh, Jason Fried and uh, the Rework book. Where they talk about how meetings are completely useless and you should get rid of them, and I'm always I'm always going between these two these two books to try to figure out what's right for me, and I think uh, I think I spend a fair amount of time doing meetings, and it takes a lot of energy out of me, but I I think it's uh, it's a worthwhile investment. I wouldn't do it otherwise, and especially having the team, you know, ninety percent of the team is not in the same country as me, so. Um, I figured I need to invest, you know, as much time or more time than the average business owner because I'm far from the eyes. So a lot of meetings, a lot of one-on-ones, setting new new targets on a regular basis, communicating a lot, and mm-hmm. uh, that takes
0: that takes time and energy, no doubt. And, and what 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 do you think is as you as you've been thinking so much about um, no meetings, main meetings? Um, how do you Make sure that these meetings are worth it. That your time is well spent. That they're effective.
1: Well, uh, best practice is to ask people to come ready with an agenda, and uh, and then to summarize what's been, what the next steps are in writing. Mm-hmm. And um, I sometimes I I am the meeting police. Where if I see a meeting has been booked with. You know, 20 people when we only need five, I'll, I'll go talk to the meeting organizer and I'll say, you know, 15 hours, you know, 15 people, one hour salary, you know, you, you know, do you really want to spend $1,000 getting this message out or can this be done by email? Something like mm-hmm. that. You know? uh, so I, I do a little bit of that and, um, and, uh, then I don't have any other nuggets of wisdom.
0: No. So it's uh, meeting agendas, next steps, and uh, limiting the amount of people in a meeting. Yeah, reduce as much as you can the the number of participants. Yeah. Yeah. What is like the typical amount of participants you would get into a meeting? It's something we are experimenting ourselves with now uh, at Salesforce for some of the meetings because sometimes we feel like we're five in a meeting, but actually... I mean it's nice to have all five involved uh but we feel that um we could also do it with three and then the two others give comments to to the the document with all the things we discussed
1: so uh, i think um yeah i haven't i haven't gone to that level quite uh, i i'm always worried about having 10 people on a call or more because mm-hmm. i feel like they're gonna switch off mentally they're you know. If you if you don't participate in a conversation, then it's all only natural to sort of drift away. And you know we're not paying people to to drift away. Yeah, <laughs> so exactly. Um, so yeah, I, I guess smaller smaller than ten is is best. But we also do the company town hall. Company town hall is almost not a meeting. It's basically me presenting most of the time. Mm-hmm. And it could be completely asynchronous and and recorded but but we make it a point to do it at least once a month to make it we're all in there together and feel like one hour of in the month for everybody to be stuck together in one virtual room Mm -hmm. is reasonable
0: yeah now to 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 your point of indeed uh, if people are not involved or drifting off uh, what we found is that this starts happening if you go uh, with more than three people because it's usually three people carrying the discussion. And if you get in with five, then, then mostly two of them are almost doing nothing. Yeah. But that's why we try to limit it now. Um,
1: yeah. What do you, totally what do you think sense. about
0: the, the span of, the ideal span of
1: control, the number of direct reports per manager? Uh,
0: we are a very small company. Um, we're just seven people, so it's not really a, an issue for us. Not right a problem. Now. I, I haven't done a, a lot of thinking about that.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, the
1: literature says ideal number is eight, seven or eight, mm-hmm. because then you have, you have the most leverage, but also, um, you know, you're um, you, you can still give people time and attention and maybe, you know, to your point, maybe it would be better if it was a little bit smaller, uh, because if it's if you do a meeting with eight or nine people, it's true. You're going to you might lose them.
0: Yeah, I don't know. You probably lose most of them, yeah. Um, how does your, your day sort of look like? What do you spend a lot of time on? Um, do you structure it in a certain way? Yeah, uh, my Mondays, I Monday and
1: Tuesday is when I do all my one-on-one meetings, so I get it out of the way. And then I can have the second half of the week to, to be a little bit more free with uh, initiatives that, that I want to work on. That could be product or sales-oriented or fundraising, whatever the, the day calls for. I, um, I have, based in Hong Kong, but with half of the team in Latin America, uh, we're, we're 12 to 14 hours time zone apart. So I have to factor that in. I wake up very early around five in the morning, and by 5.30, oh. 36, I usually have conversations with Latin America, uh, that takes me until eight, eight thirty. Then I have breakfast, and uh, then I then I can start my day um, after that. So I have I kind of have like two days. One day where I'm 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 talking to Latin America before breakfast, then I have breakfast, and then I have a, uh, my Asian day, and then after that uh, I'll do some sports in the evening. I'm not a I'm, I start early, but I usually fizzle out by six p.m. I'm useless, and then I have to you know have dinner or go do some sports or something like that.
0: Yeah. Cool. You you talked about Latin America, you're not active in North America or um not
1: so much, we focus more on emerging markets.
0: Yeah. Cool. Okay. Do you uh, sort of um you, what do you do outside doing sports in the evening? Is that where most of your time goes or
1: Yeah, I I do sports. I I keep a social my wife keeps a social agenda and <laughs> <laughs> um and I, I look for good science fiction shows on Netflix.
0: What's the latest uh, nice science fiction show you watched? Well, the best thing in the world
1: is Rick and Morty and the new episode just came out 2 days ago. Yeah.
0: Have you seen um Dark? Nope. No. It's, so? Um your name is sort of uh, German, but it, I, I, I don't think you have any German roots, right? Or
1: uh, well, my name is German, so so yeah, the roots are German. Yeah, but I'm not, but I'll go yeah. check out Dark.
0: Yeah, Dark is a is a is a German series, and it's really good. It's it's about uh, time traveling a little town in Germany, but uh, uh, let's not expand on it in 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 the podcast. My my great grandfather was German.
1: Uh, he he traveled across the atlantic ocean at the age of 13 in uh, 1960 18 1863 yeah and he became a pastor a baptist pastor and he worked uh, across the us and and then he had a you know he had four kids and, and raised an american family and, <laughs> cool you know it's it's so crazy to think that just four generations ago like you know People would um would would live lives completely different from ours. They didn't have electricity. I mean, you know. They, yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. Um so sure. it's fun to read the to read about your, your ancestry.
0: Yeah. Have you been doing that? Um or well, uh I yeah,
1: you know, I have, I have been recently, yeah. Just uh since you're mentioning my my name, it mm-hmm. reconnects me to uh to that history and um it's uh it's fun times talk about I, reading i guess i guess under donald trump it's nice to feel a little bit less american
0: <laughs> yeah, i know what you mean i'm actually uh, uh born in the us as well so i sort of identify with the whole thing and it's uh i i could see myself if i were in the in the, the us getting slightly depressed
1: yeah stuck at home now so it's even more
0: depressing <laughs> oh i think it's less depressing yeah oh, ooh, uh, talk about uh reading um what's the latest good book you've read and why did you choose to read it uh
1: well f- let me see if i have some some good ones some nuggets um i mean right now i'm i'm reading the old classic 1984 yeah uh, george orwell and um uh, behind uh my, my my preferred my recommended readings for my for my newcomers coming people who come to work for talk Bush are uh behind the cloud the story of salesforce mm-hmm. the uh the book i just mentioned by andy grove high output management rework. Mm-hmm. uh those those are the go-to's
0: and what was the last one Rework, rework from uh, from Jason Fried. Jason Freed, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And uh what did you learn from uh what sort of what is the um, the things you've learned from high output management and rework combined?
1: They're they're opposite sides of the spectrum. High output management just makes you realize that whatever you, Anything you hated about management and structure and organization, you hated it for the wrong reason and that you have to embrace it because it's the only way to get people to work well together mm-hmm. and, and so if you're if you're a little bit of an anarchist, this is a good read because it it will it will connect you with why you have to be a good manager and why you have to overcome your weaknesses in this domain and for rework um it's a great it's a great book uh by very independent thinkers of good tips on how to be productive but stay in control of your life not let not not accept the tyranny of useless meetings um and um and of uh, pointless conversation and to be more output driven so that you be you can be in control of your life
0: oh uh final question uh what's the best piece of advice you ever got I know it's a difficult one.
1: Yeah, I am not prepared for this one. I don't have very good <laughs> I don't have a lot very good memory.
0: What's the first thing uh, that comes up in your mind?
1: Uh, best piece of advice you should raise more money.
0: <laughs> raise more money? <laughs> yeah, before you go uh, into COVID uh, crisis or Uh
1: yeah, it's like every investor, every shareholder I have met, they've always told me the same thing. You should raise more money. Like yeah. Okay. I should also sell more products. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, but, but I mean, generally, generally speaking, um, it is uh, it is the rule of capitalism that a good CEO, a good business owner is going to be good at convincing others to give you capital because you need capital to get things done. And so the underlying message behind you should raise more money is you should be good at your job. You should, be, you should be good enough at your job to convince people that this is a huge opportunity. And if you're not good enough at doing that, you're not gonna get that far. So um, yeah, beyond the obvious statements of more money good, uh, there's a, I think there's an underlying message here that especially as Europeans, we, we have to learn how to do show and tell as good as the Americans and, and go for the big bucks.
0: Understood. Thank you again, Max, for being on Founder Coffee. It was uh, really great to have you.
1: Thanks, Jerome. And all the best to Founder Founder Coffee. And looking forward to listening to upcoming episodes.
0: Thank you. That's it for this episode of Founder Coffee. We hope you liked it. Let the world know if you did. Thanks for listening, guys.